Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, an evening where I wish to, where I want to wish you a happy new year, right? And I couldn't help but think, as we are uh, about studying the book of Genesis on Mondays and Tuesdays, that here we are on Monday, the first day of a new year, a day where so many of us are making our New Year's resolutions, to ask the question, what is the significance of where we are at in the book of Genesis in relationship to this being a new year? Uh, So today, this evening, we are going to read about Cain and Abel, that infamous narrative where we get that question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And I could not help but think maybe that question should really drive our New Year's resolution. How can we be more steadfast in our relationships with one another? Huh? And ultimately, in the end, making that our New Year's resolution. And how might I be a stronger brother or sister in Christ? So one of the things I want to do today in the light of this question is take up two spiritual works of mercy. Two works of mercy that are directly tied to this narrative. We have detailed the seven corporal works of mercy and the seven spiritual works of mercy. This evening, what I want to do is kind of go back into some of that subject matter that we talked about as it relates to bearing wrongs patiently and forgiving offenses willingly. Again, bearing wrongs patiently and forgiving offenses willingly. Because as we go through this narrative, my friends, this narrative of Cain and Abel, you will quickly see the direct relationship between what is going on with Cain, Abel, and and God for that matter, right? And ultimately, those two spiritual works of mercy. So I will read the narrative, make a few comments about the narrative itself, what's going on in some of these verses, and then offer up a reflection on, again, those two spiritual works of mercy. And I'm going to have to ask for your forgiveness before I even start. I have been battling a cold that has really gotten the best of me. And I'm hopefully on the tail end of that, but please be patient with me if uh, I cough here or there, okay? All right. So with that, if you want to take your Bibles out and go to Genesis chapter 4, and I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 16, which really makes up the whole narrative. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought some of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, 
And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me this day away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. And I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will slay me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who came upon him should kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. East of Eden. Okay, again, a, a few remarks as it relates to these verses. Certainly in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? So clearly, Cain is enraged by the favor shown to Abel and thinks himself the victim of what but injustice. Instead of trying to emulate his brother, what happens to Cain? He allows envy to take hold and finally decides to eliminate him. And in so many ways, Cain does what but follows the way of the devil, which is the way of envy that leads to murder as sin was lurking. You know, my friends, sin is like a predator ready to pounce on the unaware. What does Peter say? Be sober and alert because Satan is prowling like a roaring lion. So though cautioned to resist this deadly force, Cain is entirely mastered by it. In addition to his negligent worship, he resents Abel in his heart. What does this story resonate with but the prodigal son? Clearly, in the prodigal son, we don't have the elder brother going to the extent that Cain does. But certainly, you have this kind of envy, this kind of uh, deep resentment. Anyhow, one thing you do see in this narrative is this kind of premeditated act, huh? I mean, read verse 8 again. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let us go out to the field. This phrase very much suggests that the murder of Abel is a premeditated act uh, rather than a crime of passion per se. And I, I love this verse, verse 9. Where is Abel your brother? Where is Abel your brother? <laughs> Why is God asking Cain a question? Does he not know where Abel is at? Of course he knows where Abel is at. He's asking Cain a question for the same reason that he was asking Adam a question. Where are you? Where is Abel? You see, my friends, God questions the sinner in order to draw forth contrition. 
and give him an opportunity for what but confession, for forgiveness. Where is Abel? Where is he? God hasn't lost Adam, or in this case, Abel. God knows where Adam is and, and, and knows where Abel is. He's asking for a deeper reason. How about verse 13? This, this verse strikes me. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What a childish cry of self-pity, right? Oh, what I've done, I can't bear it. How many of you have been there? I've been there where I've done something gravely wrong and in my shame, I can't bear it. But also in my self-pity, I loathe in it. God desires more from us, my friends. God desires more from us. It is incredible how we can take a sin that we do and ultimately flip it around in such a way that we now find ourselves in this kind of self-pity, childish self-pity, almost as if it was someone else's fault, that our sin, our undoing was someone else's fault. As my dad used to say to me, get over yourself. <laughs> okay? And I think we, we need to do that. Now, for all of that being said, it is here where I really want to turn our attention to those two spiritual works of mercy that I do believe are directly tied to this narrative. And that is the call we have, again, to bear wrongs patiently and to forgive offenses willingly. And among others, I'm going to draw from uh, the popular speaker and blogger, Monsignor Pope. He speaks on the works of mercy, and I really love what he does there. So we're going to kind of reflect a little bit with him alongside of our own reflections. Uh, Monsignor Pope said of bearing wrongs patiently, that in this spiritual work of mercy, we probably have the most revolutionary of all the spiritual works of mercy. Why would he say that? Because really, my friends, to bear wrongs patiently is the one work of mercy that might be most directly tied to the cross. To decide to bear wrongs patiently is nothing less than to declare a revolution, really, and, and to wage a very paradoxical counteroffensive against this world and its economy of what but anger. Anger. So anger is going to be something we talk about really a lot because anger is very much tied to these two works of mercy. You know, there is a cycle of violence and retribution in which the devil seeks to engage us. And, and how does it all start? Well, the cycle begins with one person harming or slighting another, perhaps tempted to do so by the devil or by the world or the flesh, manipulated by the devil. And then the harm having been worked the harm having been committed, the victim retaliates. And then what happens? The problem escalates. Does that sound familiar? Meanwhile, Satan observes from the wings with delight as he reaps this harvest of anger, fear, bitterness, violence, and maybe equally as bad, preoccupation. And I say equally as bad because what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not worry. Do not be anxious. You translate that Greek. Do not be preoccupied. When we are preoccupied with things, in this case, 
getting back at our brother or sister in Christ, it binds us. It binds us. And it is for this reason, this kind of cycle that Satan is able to bring down friendships, families, cultures, and even nations. Friendships, families, cultures, and nations that have at its center this kind of anger, this kind of fear, this kind of bitterness, this kind of violence, my friends, is not a friendship, family, culture, or nation that will grow. It just won't. Because that's Satan's economy. What is Satan do, he would have us develop grievances. He would have us develop fears. He would fill our coffers with memories of past wrongs, stretching back as far as the memory can go. So clever are Satan's marketers of such an economy that when you really probe this point, what do you see? What do you find? That people actually begin to think that their vengeance is something that is righteous or even holy. Or maybe, (laughs) bring this back into the narrative of Cain and Abel, one that is filled with self-pity. And so it goes, the economy of Satan grows, it expands, fueled by this vengeance, bankrolled bankrolled by, by grievances. Now, into this economy, this cycle of violence and retribution, steps the Christian. My dear friends, the Christian who bears wrongs patiently in so many ways engages in this, once again, as Monsignor Pope would speak to it, this revolutionary act of saying, even if on a small scale, the cycle of violence, the cycle of anger, the cycle of retribution ends in the here now. It ends with me. Brothers and sisters, can this be our New Year's resolution? Can we say today, this evening, that the cycle of violence, the cycle of anger, the cycle of retribution ends with me? Can this be our New Year's resolution? Can we throw that wrench into the gears of Satan's economy? Even if it is just the bearing of very small wrongs, does that not at the very least slow down those gears of hatred and retribution, slow down that machine, if you will? The person who does this engages in a paradoxical act of sabotage. Is this not the same paradox we see on the cross? This kind of outmaneuvering that Jesus does on the cross, where Christ won by bearing patiently and bravely the venom, the hatred, and the violence of this world to the very end? How did he do it? He bore it not by retaliating, not by hating, but by willing the good of the other and enduring unto the end. Every Christian who bears wrongs patiently increases the size of the cross by the very fact that Christ unites our sufferings to his own. What must he have been thinking on the cross as they were still pointing the finger at him? What an an extraordinary act of mercy to bear the wrong patiently while he was suffering. So revolutionary. And, And note the logic of this revolution. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, right? Only light can do that. Hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. Pride cannot drive out pride. 
Only humility can do that. And thus, Jesus and every Christian who bears wrongs patiently drives out darkness by light, hatred by willing the good of the other, and pride by humility. Now, I suppose the question to be asked is such a stance to be so absolute. I mean, must we bear every wrong patiently? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, there are times we must defend ourselves and others, right? When the only way to repel the grave harm caused by a serious injustice is to disable it and to remove it. There are times when we must actively resist evil and stand in its way. But my dear friends, even in all of this, retaliation must not be our goal. Rather, our goal must be justice. A justice that is established in love and respect with a desire to end the cycle, not merely to continue it as its victor. Essentially, my friends, evil is to be resisted and robbed of further prey. If I seek to conquer and destroy evil, too easily I can become the very evil that I seek to destroy. Even as I declare my victory, the evil still lives to strike again, does it not, if it's in the heart? So it is. The heart must be transformed that the cycle might end. The Christian who bears wrongs patiently says, in effect, it ends with me. I will take the blow like my Savior did on the cross, but I will not return it like my Savior did on the cross. And oh, by the way, this doesn't make me spineless, but rather courageous, because this is what Jesus is on the cross. <laughs> so in the end, my friends, to bear wrongs patiently is to declare that revolution against Satan's regime, to break the cycle of his economy, and say the cycle of violence and revenge ends with me in the here and now and my dear friends, if you are about to lose your patience with someone and, and give in to that cycle of violence, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, it might help to think about how God has been patient with you. Certainly, I can tell you in my own weakness, this has helped me with this very particular uh, spiritual work of mercy. Now, this work of mercy is if really faithfully embraced naturally leads to the sixth spiritual work of mercy, forgiving offenses willingly. Now, forgiveness is something that we have talked so much about. But for the purposes of today's narrative, the narrative of, of Cain and Abel, we do need to talk about it within the context of anger. Because in the end, as many of us know, if we are going to be honest with ourselves, forgiveness is often rejected because of what? Anger. It would seem... And, and Monsignor Pope posits this, that anger is rooted in two things. What does he say there? Well, first, that the call to forgive implies some dishonoring or maybe diminishing of the pain or injustice someone has experienced. Okay. Second, that it would seem to imply there is a requirement, a requirement to stay in or resume relationships that are poisonous or dysfunctional. But my friends, forgiveness does not necessarily imply to either of these, okay? In some cases, forgiveness ought to lead to reconciliation for sure. But in other cases, especially when it comes to abuse, no, that would be very dangerous. Forgiveness is a concept that I think is 
really often misunderstood. Many people interpret forgiveness as a work they must do out of their own power rather than as a gift to be received from God. How have I talked about this before? Forgiveness is a work of God within us, a sharing in the redemptive love of Christ whereby God acts to free you, me, us from the poisonous effects of bitterness and grief that so often accompany the harm that was inflicted upon us. If you were to go to Mark chapter 2, verse 7, we, we read about that. So once we allow God in, the bitterness and grief over time begins to what but dissipate. Time is our ally if we let God in. Time is our adversary if we think we are in control. I'll say that again. Time is our ally if we let God in. Time is our adversary if we try to do this on our own. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever experienced a broken relationship where you put an expectation into forgiveness and forgiveness never happened? And then you start to ask the question, well, gosh, how much more time do I have to wait? Four months turns into six months, six months turns into a year, a year turns into three years, eight, nine, ten years pass, and there's still this bitterness, this, this anger, this vengeance. Brothers and sisters, speaking of time, <laughs> forgiveness is a letting go of the need to change the past. Forgiveness is a letting go of the need to change the past. Obviously, we cannot change the past. We cannot change what has happened far too often. We too easily think that by ruminating over past hurts, we will somehow change what has happened or even get back at the other person. Clinging to our hurt and anger, understandable though it may be, only harms us. Thus, we could rightfully say that forgiveness is first for us, even more so than for the other person. In calling us to forgive, God is offering us the gift to be free of a great deal of poison and really of a costly emotional state that robs us of, of um, joy and, and strength. As Monsignor Pope notes, you know, carrying anger and hurt is like lugging a bunch of bowling balls around our waist. What a relief it is to just be free of that weight. Man, I could not agree more. Incidentally, my friends, in talking about this being our New Year's resolution, what does the word resolution mean? It comes from the Latin resolutio, to loosen. To loosen. Uh, the image there is maybe a loosening of the belts. This is why, you know, we have our New Year's resolutions. We want to work out, lose weight. That usually lasts for about 10, 12 days, right? But what about loosening the chains that bind us? Very fitting that we be talking about this within the context of our New Year's resolution. So it is, my friends, this freedom is what God offers us when he gives us the grace to forgive, to let go of the need to change the past, to let go of the desire for others to suffer because of what they have done to us. What does Scripture say? If you were to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay, says the Lord. So, we ask, how is forgiving of injuries a spiritual work of mercy? First of all, I think as we have seen, it is a work of mercy towards our very self. As nursing grudges saps us of our very strength, as nursing grudges stresses us out and vexes us to no end, receiving the gift to forgive is a mercy for us since we are now relieved of these burdens. Our strength and energy can be directed to other better things, we could say. And because our strength is directed to do good and profitable things, we are now better able to love and be available to others. Now, forgiving injuries is also a work of mercy to the one who has harmed us because it can restore to them a relationship with us that is important to them. There is a reason why our hearts hurt when our relationships are broken. Because we want to be in right relationship with those who we are not in right relationship with. It is a very great gift to offer mercy and pardon to one who has harmed us and seeks our forgiveness for the sake of the healing of the heart. Brothers and sisters, while in moments of grave harm, it may be difficult to access this gift and in both gifts, pray for the strength to bear wrongs patiently and to forgive offenses willingly, that as you do, you might find the necessary strength to do what you ought. My dear friends, I believe in my heart of hearts that these two spiritual works of mercy, if we can really enter into the dynamism of what they represent, can change the face of not only our relationships, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, our states, but collectively this nation and the world. No, we sit here and say, what do you want for, for this new year? World peace. Well, it starts with you and the relationship that isn't right. So ask God, what is the one relationship that I need to work on? Or maybe two relationships and start working on those. If you think that it is a cross that is too much for you to bear, just remember that the cross is the means to our salvation. Let this be, again, your New Year's resolution. Let us avoid that dangerous sentiment that we read about in Cain and Abel. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.